0: I think the vast majority of women who have joined the organization are are women who who woke up either the day after the election or within a couple of months or within a couple of years after the election have said, so this doesn't sit right with me. Something that I felt like I was able to ignore that was going on in the background of my life that didn't impact me much, even they might have been good citizens and always voted, but weren't super engaged and suddenly feel like "Mm, something isn't quite right. And I feel like I need to engage, but engaging at the moment of most hyper-partisanship, highest levels of disinformation, is a hard time to start to engage. And I think that they've found that MWEG is a place that they can get good resources, good knowledge, good direction. They understand why we're making our decisions and our suggestions, how we're making those choices. And they find a space that they can talk to other people, often who they disagree with, but they can do it peacefully.
1: It is less than a month away until the general election for the United States of America. Everyone else who listens everywhere else, I'm sorry. I'm going to speak to those that live in the United States for just a moment. Here is my plea. Please, 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 please. Two more pleases. Please, please make a plan to vote. I'm not going to tell you how to vote. I believe very strongly in that the church says, Hey, you know what? Do do as you feel, and that those that try and villainize the other party, I don't think that's the way that God wants it, right? I think that we can all do according to the dictates of our own conscience, and that we can all say, Alright, that guy's my guy, or that guy's my guy. But I think the most important thing twofold one that you make a plan because who knows what's going to happen if 2020 has taught us a single thing it's who knows so make a plan are you early voting are you mail-in voting are you doing a day of do you have the day off have you planned on four five six seven eight nine ten twelve twenty four hours to be able to vote make your plan and make sure that you are registered to vote be an informed voter that's another step to the whole thing but find out Pray about it if that's how you go about it. Whatever the thing is, I am really, and I mean this sincerely, even if you don't vote the same way that I vote, I am encouraging you so hard to please vote. And I want you to listen to this entire episode of the Cultural Hall.
2: Jesus land if they live righteously.
1: Time for another episode of the Cultural Hall. We'll be visiting with Jen Thomas from Mweg Mweg. We're gonna find out why it's not a much longer name. Jen, who has never listened to the Cultural Hall ever before, welcome to this episode.
0: Thank you, and uh, I'm I'm penitent. I will make sure that I fix that in the future.
1: Well, if uh, Indiana Jones has taught me nothing, it's that the penitent man shall pass. So, in order to save your life at some point, you are gonna appreciate that that now you know about the Cultural Hall. So, uh. Obviously, I want to get into the organization, but I want to introduce people to you. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Before we started recording, you said you had 100 kids and were one of 1,000. So let's maybe go there.
0: (laughs) Yes, a little bit fewer. But um, yes, I am. I am a mom who lives in Boston, just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, outside of a suburb here. I have four boys, which in Boston, Massachusetts counts as about 1,000 for most people. And um, I grew up in Utah. Left Utah, went to school in Utah at BYU, left for graduate school um, in Manhattan where I did my graduate work and then met my husband there. We came to Boston for him to do further graduate work and we just never left. So it's been our home for about a quarter of a century.
1: What is it that he does and what is it that you do?
0: So he is um, the CEO and president of a not-for-profit, kind of a quasi-private, quasi-public institution that helps with the governance of higher education through all the six New England states. So he works with higher education, basically nationally and locally. And then I am one of the senior directors at Mormon Women for Ethical Government.
1: Cool. So So you're able. So with Mormon Women for Ethical Government, it becomes a job that you've sort of flexed into.
0: Yes. For a handful of us, yes. It's, it's, um, we're still very under market paid if we're paid at all, but we definitely are working more than our 40 hours a week. So sure. <laughs> it now, is a job. <laughs> now, when
1: we hear Mormon women for ethical government, I think that two things come to people's mind. Number one is it's like, hey, wait a minute. Why isn't it the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints women for ethical government? Fair question.
0: Um, so that was our name in the beginning and when sort of, when president Nelson spoke in conference and asked that, um, members of the church identify by the full name of the um, church, we actually have absolutely no problem with that and have encouraged our members individually to do exactly that. But we did a lot of thoughtful research and looked into, you know, what it would mean for us to change the name of our organization. And there were a few problems that we just could not find a way around. The biggest was that we want to make sure that we always maintain full clarity that we do not speak for the church Mm. and we do not speak for the full membership of the church. And the closer we got to using the actual name of the church, the closer we approached that. And that made us- It blurs blurs the
1: lines, right? It it blurs
0: the line. And in fact, President Nelson speaking out in this way actually made that line even brighter for us. Mm. And so that was very helpful, right? It became, I think, pretty clear to most members of the church that we were not in fact attempting to speak for the church or we would have changed our name. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so one big thing was maintaining that transparency and maintaining distance so that we didn't ever appear to be trespassing onto space that we did not own. And then the second thing that we tossed around other names, we tossed around, you know, Christian women, we tossed around women of faith, we tossed around all these different names. Um, one thing that we just also kept coming back to was this, um, very problematic sense that part of what is wrong in america right now or at least part of the problems we're facing is that religion has been weaponized Mm. and that people use religion and particularly have used the word of christianity to justify their political choices Mm -hmm. and we saw that as problematic both because it excludes people who uh, adhere to those same religious beliefs but don't necessarily have the same political beliefs um but also we felt and it was alienating a whole generation of kids who are like, hey, we don't, you know, we don't identify that way. Religion's being used. Um, but then finally, more than anything, we are we count most we count ourselves as disciples of Christ. We're, you know, women of faith. And we never, ever wanted to be in a position where we felt like we were using his name to advance our ends. Hmm. And so we just decided to leave Christianity out of it entirely. And then the final and less kind of, I guess, meaningful reason, but meaningful to us, is that um, the word Mormon now encompasses. A, it's it's a much broader umbrella term than just the the name of the church. It, it's an adjective. It allows us to describe cultural conditions, and it also allows us to describe people who have maybe like left fellowship of the church or mm-hmm. but still feel culturally attached. Um, and And so we actually do have members of our organization who are happy to identify with the organization and its faith beliefs, but not necessarily anymore identify as members of the church. Now, that's rarer, but we didn't want to exclude those women either because, you know, we are happy to have their voices amongst us. So this just felt like a good path for us.
1: Yeah, a common phrase that uh, that I hear more and more, uh, maybe sort of catchy, but also catch all is that there's more than one way to Mormon or underneath the umbrella of Mormonism, which can include fundamentalists and people yeah, that yeah. are only cultural and people who are true believing and people who may yeah. not be there now, but may return. And, and so to yeah. encompass everyone. And, and
0: there are lots of people for whom this is membership in this organization has been a very faith affirming experience. They feel... Um, We've had lots of women who have expressed to us that it, it has helped them stay active in the church mm-hmm. uh, because they have a faith community that they feel, you know, a political community that they feel like represents them in terms of their faith. And so I think it's been a very it's it's a very positive. One thing I will say about our organization is a very productive, positive, happy um, communal space. So um, I think women have felt that and that's kind of what we want to encourage.
1: I think the other thing that comes up when you hear MWAG is uh, certainly because of its timing in its foundation is it's a bunch of it's a bunch of women Trump haters. That's what this group is.
0: <laughs> well, we don't hate anybody. Yeah. We we don't, we don't use that word, do we? No, no. <laughs> We don't use the word hate. No. Um, but but joking aside, we sincerely do not. Um certainly the timing, I think, for I don't think that there's any question that for for the women who were there at the founding, and for those of us who, those who have joined us, um, the election of Donald Trump felt like a bellwether event in that he, as a human being, didn't strike us as a hallmark of ethics. And and I think that no one would have been happier than the women in this group if, from the beginning, he had decided to govern in a way that was different than the character traits he'd exhibited you know, throughout the previous parts of his life. I don't think any of us would have been opposed to that. And I don't think that as an organization in any way, we are opposed to him per se. Mm-hmm. We just are really here to defend ethical government governance, norms, traditions, patterns of doing things that offer the furthest, umbre- the biggest umbrella of protection to to citizens. If if and, I
1: understand kind of ethical governance, and I'm going to ask you to kind of define what you guys, you guys think that means in just a second. I would yeah. think that there would be plenty of place for anyone on any side of the aisle to be within Same. MWEG because ethics yep. is ethics and it, and it can ascribe itself to either political party.
0: To lots of different things. No. Yeah. And, and that is absolutely true. So one thing that we've tried to be as an organization is very scrupulous about how we define our terms. Almost kind of, I would say, some people might even say we've been a little neurotic about it, you know, <laughs> <we've>, <laughs> because part of political discourse is hard, so hard right now because you can use a word like, let's just say, socialism. And that word um, has a textbook definition. It has a way that it is applied in common intellectual thought. It has uh, the way people have experienced it in socialist countries. It it has a way of being used by people who actually aren't even talking about socialism at all. And you can't have a conversation if you don't have defined terms. And so um, it's just it's very difficult. We all have to if we want to exchange ideas, we have to at least be able to say, well, this is how you're defining the term. And this is how I'm defining the term. Let's try to see how we can approach to an understanding of one another. So one of the things that we've tried really hard to do as an organization is be very, very thoughtful about the way we use those words. So we don't want ethics to be just what. Jen Thomas or any other leader in MWIC says is ethical or not ethical on a Tuesday because either I was mad at my kids or I was happy about the flowers or right. you know it, we didn't want it to be arbitrary and so we do have a document that's pretty pretty rigorous called our principles of ethical government that goes step by step and explains what we how we define ethical governance and it is all because we are a faith based organization it all references directly back to scripture hmm. so we use scripture to say this is you know. In other words, we believe that every government official institution has a duty to respect the rule of law, including accepted processes for how the law is to be established, executed and interpreted. That's one of our principles of ethical government. And then we we explain what that means to us. So if anyone wants to talk to us about it, we can say, this is what we're talking about. Hmm. You might not agree, but this is what we're talking about when we use that word.
1: So oftentimes when you have, you have sort of that founding and that did happen right after the election of Donald Trump. Within Uh, hours. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> uh, When people come to, that's talk- the magic of Facebook, right? Yeah, exactly, right. I, we got to do something. Here it is. We've done this thing, and no! then, and then the catch-all no. with all the other stuff, the documentation, yeah. and all those other things after yeah, that. Exactly, no, uh, for sure. When you find people coming to you, are they people that are just finding themselves disenfranchised with the with just politics in general? Like, who? Wh- what do you find most of your membership to be made up of?
0: That's a really interesting question. So really people I think would be very surprised to know how we we do sort of we try to figure out our membership and try to make sure they let us know and we really actually do have a pretty wide range of members in terms of ideology. We've got some that identify as left and certainly that's within the context of Mormonism which shocking to you know, it's it's always surprising to me when people say something's far left that I'm like, hey, I live in Massachusetts. I promise yeah. that thing you think is far left is not, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but we've got a wide range of women that are conservative, that are moderates, that are center, that are, are more left leaning. But um, but we also have a huge range of women who some have their whole lives been super engaged and interested in politics. But I think that's actually by far the minority. Hmm. I think the vast majority of women who have joined the organization are, are women who who woke up either the day after the election or um, within a couple of months or within a couple of years after the election have said, so this doesn't sit right with me. Something that I felt like I was able to ignore that was going on in the background of my life that didn't impact me much. Even they might have been good citizens and always voted, but but weren't super engaged and suddenly feel like mm, something isn't quite right. And I feel like I need to engage, but engaging at the moment of most hyperpartisanship, what highest levels of disinformation, is a hard time to start to engage. Right. And I think that they've found that Mweg is a place that they can get good resources, good knowledge, good direction. They understand why we're making our decisions and our suggestions, how we're making those choices. And, and they find a space that they can talk to other people, often who they disagree with, but they can do it peacefully.
1: So you talk about, uh, suggestions and decisions. Talk to me about like, what, what, what does the group even do? I just know of its existence. I know of yes. when it was founded and the rest I go, well, they made it so that I'm can't be a part of it because I'm a woman. So <laughs> Sorry, I guess dude. I'll, I guess I'll try and find a dude organization that does the I same know. thing.
0: I know we have, we have guys that ask us all the time. And we're like, Hey mom, we're moms. We organize everybody's play dates. This one's <laughs> for us. But, um, so we do a lot of things. So the, we started out as a Facebook group, and that is certainly still a part of our organization. It's where women can meet; they can practice talking to each other, sort of based on the rules that we've set up, which are that you can't kind of be mean, you can't you can't have ad hominem attacks, you have to have you know have barely, very very fairly sourced arguments. Um, But that's really a small part of what we do. We've sort of grown well beyond that. And now we regularly um, issue official statements, which is when the organization takes a statement, you know, takes a position on something. Um, But more often, we now issue calls to action, which is if you're a part of our group, you'll, you know, get information about something that we have concerns about. Maybe how management of the post office is going as we lead up to, you know, mail-in ballots ramping up or whatever. And, and we give our members a really in-depth, very neutrally sourced um, background as to how we got where we are, what's going on. And then we give them the opportunity to reach out to the, the individuals in government who need to make these decisions. And we have quite literally had thousands and thousands of, um, exam- like we we track this. So thousands and thousands of women have used MWEG to reach out to their representative about these issues of concern. So we provide a pathway for them to do that. Hmm. And we make sure they're super informed before they engage.
1: And and the value of that obviously is um, that, you know, we can be informed that we're active in government, but also there there is very much a religious charge to be Absolutely. politically involved. Talk about that a little bit.
0: Um, I I think we all take that pretty seriously. I think as women of faith, we believe um, strongly that we are agents unto ourselves and that 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 liberty and that agency isn't just a freedom to act in our own interest, but we have a deep moral responsibility to always act in a way that is um, representative of the broader interests of our community and that meets the greatest needs around us. So I think we try very hard to always consider the balance of the 99 and the one. Mm. Sometimes as an organization, we're going to be representing the 99 and helping them along. And sometimes as an organization, we're going to be trying to follow that religious admonition to find the one and make sure that they're well cared for. And so like I said, I think for us, this is very highly motivated both by discipleship, really a, you know, a belief, a deeply Christ-centered belief in how we should behave um, and how we should treat our, you know, fellow human beings, our brothers and sisters. And then also a very uniquely, um, very unique to our faith idea that we are responsible for our actions, that we will, that we, that we need to do the best we can with what we've got, right? Yeah. That we need, to, whatever we've been given it is much in this nation. Every single one of us has been given much and we must give back. Like we must figure out how to bless the lives of others.
1: You must, you might even say we too must give. I saw what what you were doing right there. Let's take a break real quick. Uh, When when we come back in the second block, I want to throw a couple of statements at you and have you respond to them. Uh, We'll do that coming back in the second block of the cultural hall. (laughs)
2: Hey, this is Dan the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. It's our ultra-mega back-to-school blowout sale. We have hundreds of thousands of dollars of ultra-high-quality laptops and desktops on sale for up to 50% off the original prices. We've got demos, scratch-and-dents, trade-ins, and funny-colored computers. It's crazy! Remember, you get a lifetime service guarantee on any PC Laptop's brand computer. That means if you mess up your windows or you get a virus or spyware, it's covered forever. Got an old yucky computer? No problem. We'll take it in on trade and we'll transfer all your pictures, music, and all your stuff to your PC Laptops computer for free. When you get your computer from PC Laptops, we'll make sure you're taken care of for a lifetime. To make it impossible to resist, we're doing 12-month special financing on any PC Laptops desktop or laptop computer. Have I lost my mind? Get into any one of our locations right now or check us out at PCLaptops.com. PC laptops, where computers start at $7.99. PC laptops, we love you. Here
1: in the second block of the Cultural Hall, you love this conversation. You love other great conversations that we've had. Uh, You must, you must go to patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall and become a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall For as little as $3 a month, it allows us to be able to do great interviews like this one and uh, allows us uh, the the great opportunity to continue doing The Cultural Hall. You're looking forward to that website change? Well, guess what? Paid for by your Patreon subscriptions. It's patreon.com forward slash The Cultural Hall. And don't forget that if you are a Patreon saint, you get to be a part of that secret but not sacred Facebook group that uh, all those saints are part of. Now, Jen, let me ask you. Because I've been told you can't be a good member of the church and be a Democrat oh, Your response, please.
0: Yeah. Um, so my response to that would be, um, it seems that every year we get, or at least for certainly every election year, we get a direct reminder from the leaders of our church that that is simply not true. So we either have to decide as members of the church that we're willing to take them at their word on that or um, or we need to take it up directly with them, not with the members of our faith that are doing their best to vote according to their conscience. Um, but I, I think, you know, one of the things that I really value about MWAG is is this idea that it is a space where women who are members of our faith that sometimes have radically different ideas can come together and talk about how their moral and doctrinal beliefs have have informed those ideas. So I, I think that... We would do better. So I'm in a very unique position. I live in Massachusetts and, um, but I'm still a member of a pretty conservative faith. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, but our congregations, the congregations I've been in here have learned by trial and error that they cannot ever be quite sure what the person sitting next to them in the pews believes politically. And so they behave very well at church and are very kind and don't sort of allow politics to infuse um, their religious experience. Mm -hmm. And to me, that has been a super, super healthy thing. And it's allowed everybody to, it it sort of moderates our behavior and um, hopefully in in a good world gives us an understanding of how other people believe and react. And I guess the final thing that I would say to every member of our faith if we fail to engage with one whole political party in a two-party system, we basically give away our opportunity to influence how that party runs. We mm. abdicate completely. We can't influence their policy. We can't influence their um you know, the things that they're trying to pass. They're not going to come talk to us. They're not going to listen to us. Why would they? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think it, it behooves us as members of a church that wants to be global and wants to be national to engage actively with both parties and have members of our church in both parties so that we can have a broader influence on the way the nation goes to basically put all our eggs in one basket and say, we're only going to get help or assistance or be able to move the needle when one group, you know, has their levers on hands on the levers of power, um, I think is a little problematic and it, I don't think it benefits the nation and I don't think it benefits us as a people.
1: Did you just ever want to scream? Not true.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> not true. No,
1: No. Uh, Now, let me ask you a a little while back and help me if I'm remembering this incorrectly. You guys uh, were very much in the forefront on the on the floor of the Senate, right? Didn't didn't they read something from Mweg
0: in the Senate? Forefront forefront is super nice. But um, yes, we um, during the Kavanaugh hearings, we had made a couple of official statements and Cory Booker had um, who was friends, I believe, with Jeff Flake um, had Asked to have one of those statements officially read into the record during the Kavanaugh hearings. Mm. So that was how that happened. Yeah.
1: And so things like that are the things that you guys make those official statements on. What yes. else? What else have you done oh, statements on?
0: You know, a wide range of things. Um, environmentalism. We've made them on basically I think they've sort of narrowed as um as the administration has come along, they've been sort of more narrowed to how specific individuals are acting in this political sphere. Like whether we believe that someone in power is misabusing power in, in ways that are not ethical. Mm. And so to kind of try to call attention to that. And we try to always make sure that those are thoughtful, moderate. They are not drafted by one person. They are you know, very thoughtfully prepared and vetted by... Um, um, often by professionals on both sides. So if we, if we take a stand on an issue, we make sure a, that there is, we try to take out as much inflammatory language or no inflammatory language, but partisan language. And then we have those reviewed by both conservative and liberal, uh, specialists in the field that we're speaking. And, and I would imagine
1: where you have participants that are on both sides that there sometimes are some very, let's couch it as heated discussions. Uh, yeah. Is, is there some part of MWEG that that instructs us or informs us how to be able to the, have those conversations? Because social media would teach me that we don't know how to have those conversations. Yes,
0: we, we really don't do. We, we do we it don't. badly. Um, and part of that is, I think, not seeing and knowing each other as well, sometimes on social media as we do in real life. Mm-hmm. But um, we have definitely learned we, we operate based on some principles of peacemaking. And those principles are um, are how we do our work. And, and that also infuses our discourse. So basically, there are ways to speak out against injustice. There are ways to say that you think that someone is wrong without communicating to that person that they are broken or that they are evil or that they are inherently not valuable. And um, we try really hard to make sure that our conversations center on facts and that they also um, that we also respect that we don't always fully understand what's going on with the person that we're discoursing, you know, the person we're discoursing with on mm-hmm. social media.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So try to be respectful that people have deep background that we don't always know.
1: I, I so. find that making a uh, large generalized statements, super helpful yes. to make another person mad. Uh, yep. Just large gaping uh, assumptions. Like I've yep. got, I've got the inciting internet violence down. Are there other things that maybe we don't think of that, that really make that discourse impossible to have that maybe would be lesser known or that we don't do intentionally, but man, if you if you hear it, you could recognize it within your own rhetoric?
0: So I think one thing that we all do badly is we often go into these conversations having quickly, we, we quickly read and we quickly respond. That's rewarded on, on social media. and And we sort of encourage women to just take a breath, to read, to step back and maybe think about your response then read you know the original opinion again and i know that i find i do this all the time i don't know about you i read something i've come to a conclusion i type up my thing then i go back and i'm like wait i don't actually think that's what they were saying like or i might have you know not processed that because i was jumping to conclusions the whole time i was reading so just taking a breath i think allows us all to be a little bit more humble and thoughtful in our response yeah
1: I don't breathe at all. I just click post and then when someone's oh, oh, like, oh. You don't understand, then I'm like, post again. And I'm like, you don't understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now now uh joking aside, because I think your organization is so invaluable, why not um Mormon people? Why not why can't we make it Mormon people for ethical government?
0: Or This is a good question. So um well, in the first place, it's, it's working, it's working for us. And um, I think the second place is maybe you've also gotten a little bit, um, a little bit at the fact that we, we need to learn to communicate in spaces. And sometimes women, particularly in our culture, are not encultured to speak up or speak out. And if there is, um, and, and you can have eight women in a room having a conversation and, and sometimes even the men in our culture aren't in culture to listen and they walk into the room and are like suddenly, you know, running the conversation. And one thing that's been very, very valuable, I think for our women is in a place where they do not feel as exposed or, um, they don't feel as judged to be able to learn to express themselves mm-hmm. and develop their political voices mm. and for whatever reason are the women in our group tend to do that more comfortably and confidently in a group of women. And yeah. so for now, that's where we are.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I mean, we've definitely talked about some of that most recent research. Susan Madsen, who's a member yes, of the church, exactly. who talked yes. about how you have to have just
0: to us last week. Yeah. yeah.
1: If there's eight people in a room in order for a woman to feel comfortable to speak up, there has to be at least, I think, three women in the group for the woman to feel comfortable, something yeah. like that. She's yeah. like, no, that's not my research at all. Why don't you represent me? But I know it's something no. almost to that fact.
0: No, yes, women. And they, they just they need to have other women backing them up. Yeah. Right. So
1: uh, I want to take this as a, as a sort of a bigger um, discussion, too, because I think that this is important. And I want to talk about sort of our citizenship in general. We're a okay. little less than a month away from the general election um you know now more than ever is the thing that i'm being told from uh commercials and political ads that this is more important than it could ever be before and i and i think there is some validity um to that if people are wanting to get involved even if it's just as minimal as uh voting Is it too late and what sort of instructions do you have for them?
0: No, so actually, so we have a lot of resources on our website and we would encourage um, women and men can use those to find out how and where to register to vote. It is not too late to do that. People can still do that. I would also really, a couple of things. If you are deciding to vote by mail, make sure you do that early. Mm-hmm. Get, you, don't wait until the last minute. I, I think even absent problems with the post office, even absent a pandemic, probably some of the states, their deadlines up for when you can return ballots are probably too optimistic. So if they say you can return it by October 28th, just turn it in by October 15th, turn it in by October 10th, get it in early, Mm -hmm. get it done. So that's the second thing we would encourage people who can vote a little bit earlier to do that. Um, The second thing I think we would really encourage anyone who has the capacity to do it this year is to support the voting process. And by that, I mean, if you have a capacity to drive elderly people in your neighborhood to vote, make sure you get them to do that or help them you know, sign up online to receive their ballot if they don't know how to do that. If you have the capacity to be a poll worker, that's going to be a huge problem in our nation this year because poll workers are older and they don't, they're worried about being exposed. So if you're young and healthy like you are, mm-hmm. get out there, take that day off work and figure out how to sign up now to to work as a poll worker. Um, and consider working. Some states are allowing people to be poll workers outside of their voting jurisdiction and, and consider being willing to vote or to be a poll worker in a jurisdiction that might be under, an underserved population that otherwise they might not be able to fully staff um, the polls.
1: This this will um, be a question that you want to slap me on the back side of the head. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What exactly does a poll worker do?
0: So a poll worker just helps. Like when you check in, they say, can you please give me your address? And, and you know, they say, oh, this is my address. I live at X, you know, X Sunshine Road. Um, and, and, and so they say, okay, so now if you're in Massachusetts and you're voting in a primary, they ask whether you want, you know, which ballot you're working with or, um, and, and then they monitor the polls, right? They make sure that you put it in the machine the right way. They make sure you get your happy sticker. They make sure that, you know, they just keep the polls open and running. If there are lines, they help, you know, run those. So poll workers, there's a, a wide range of activities, but, uh, we would encourage anyone who has the capacity to do that to consider that.
1: And what do you have to what do you have to have be do know to be the capacity of a poll worker?
0: Do you know what? You have to have the capacity of an 18-year-old boy and as a mother of one that is low. So my, my two <laughs> my two, um, My two great sons, they're going to make fun of me because they really have high capacity. They're lovely people. But um, this this summer for our primaries, my two boys who are 21 and 18 signed up to work as poll workers. Hmm. They worked as poll workers. So you usually have to be a registered voter. Okay, Um, that's usually pretty much the, the baseline requirement.
1: And I know in some places you can actually be paid to do
0: it. Some places you are. So yeah. they offered to pay my sons and my son said, no, we'd prefer to just have this be a volunteer service. But yeah, some places will pay you. And if if that's what, if you need that money, absolutely take it. Right. So it's a service.
1: And is it, is it something that we go to what, like our county clerk
0: or how would we yeah, find out so to be able to sign up different. to do that? It's going to be different with every governing structure. But yeah. So it, it, most places, if you just Google online, it, you know, you can say Utah poll workers, you know, within a quick a quick search will
1: tell okay. you. Okay, okay, okay. So we can be a poll worker to be involved. We can certainly still get registered to be able to vote. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, yep. I think it, it it's worth having the discussion. Um, you know, ads on TV, ads on social media would certainly tell me that the other side, whatever the other side is, is terrible. Whatever the
0: other side is, yeah,
1: is terrible. They're the worst. Yep. It's the crumbling of our country, and everything is going yep. to be destroyed. How do we know that we're getting good information? about the candidates.
0: That is such a good question, right? That is a really really good question. So I would encourage everyone and I know that that this sounds people are going to think this is crazy, but I would listen to what the candidate themselves are telling you. So I think one of the worst things we do is is you know, the president says something, and then I listen to the spin about how the president said it, or, you know, Joe Biden says something, and I listen to the spin, I would always make sure that I go back and either read the exact words they said, or watch them as they say them, because I think that, and granted, they're politicians, they're trying to persuade you. But I think if we go to the source, that helps us a lot. I think we can also, um, I would encourage every citizen, I think somebody, I don't even know, wish, I wish I could source this, but somebody said voting isn't like getting married. We tend to think it is that you're looking for the one mm-hmm. but in fact you're catching a bus and you're going to catch the bus that's going to take you closest to the place you want to stop and then if you have to walk from there to the place you want to be that's fine mm. um, and i think that that's a really good way for all of us to think about this we sort of started we, we tend to think that casting a vote is this pure pure moral expression when in reality it's it's an expression of values in a very complicated world yeah. right And so what I would encourage everyone to do is never, ever, ever to be a single issue voter. This just, it's it's a bad way to vote.
1: What does that mean Uh, exactly?
0: That means picking. I, I don't like people that like um, irrigation on lawns, and so if this candidate says all lawns should be green and irrigated, it doesn't matter whether what else they want to do. I'm not going to vote for them, hmm. right? So so, but we all know what they are. I don't even need to bring them up. You know what the you know the hot button issues are that some people will say I can't vote except for this one thing, and it's just a very um, it's a clumsy way to execute your political expression. And it's also on some level, I would argue, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, a little bit irresponsible to say that I can care about one thing, even if all sorts of other things happen that damage all sorts of other people. Right. We have to be responsible to say what what does the least harm? We have to be kind of civic physicians where it's try to do as little harm as possible and as much good as possible with the vote. Is it it cynical
1: of me to think, well, I mean, a, a presidential figure only really does so much like, I, yeah, I, no. I I mean, for me, I'm like, yes, sure. Okay, great. I can vote for that person. But guess what? He has to have, you know, the house behind him, the Senate yeah. behind him, the Supreme court has to get on board in some of these issues, plus all local municipalities and state governments and all these yeah. things. So like when we make a really big deal of it, and I do think it is important and I do think that people mm-hmm. should vote and all of that, but I I often get I think characterized as a little cynical where it's like, I you know, I don't know that it's a huge, huge deal. Well,
0: so one way I or the would other. argue that it's it is a pretty huge deal. I think we've seen how for better or for worse some people like it some people don't how much the voice of one human being at the head of our government changes mm-hmm. our national discourse changes our comfort level changes our kindness so so it does have a huge impact on a lot of things but the other thing I would like really encourage you to not be cynical about is when people say well I don't vote I'm cynical they're also saying that very few people show up as really informed voters about local and state elections but then just cast no ballot for president because they're irritated. When they say I don't vote, they don't vote, Mm. right? And so there are all sorts of places on your ballot that you can make actually a huge difference where local elections are decided by five votes or the course of your community for the next 10 years is decided because of who gets put in charge. And so when we abdicate, when we just say, oh, I'm not gonna vote because my vote has a tiny impact on the national stage, we often, you know, abdicate our responsibility for our local communities, which is really where democracy flourishes. So vote, vote. (laughs) And then the final thing would just be to remind everybody that there are all sorts of ways to protest. We're seeing this play out in America in lots of different ways, but probably one of the most meaningless ways to protest in democracy is to not cast a vote. Everyone's like, well, I'm not going to vote because I'm protesting. I'm like, well, who did you notify who heard that? Did the media care that Jen Thomas didn't vote? You know, it is just a super ineffective way to express protest. So vote. And then do the work to complain about the things you don't like in the hard ways where you actually can make a difference.
1: You sort of spoke to this, but I would like you to elaborate a little bit like uh, I live in the state of Utah, uh, presumably not ever going to be blue state. There are other people who live in states that might be uh, blue states that would never uh, go red. And that might be how they they uh, feel like their political affiliation is. What's the value for those people to do that within the state they live?
0: So I, I think that it's always good for governors or leaders of that state to see that there is an informed voting opposition. So even if, say I live in a blue state, 25% of, of the people in my state go for, say, a red candidate. That If I'm a really smart governor, I'm tracking the fact that there are 25% of the people that cared enough to get out and vote that are engaged people who don't necessarily agree with me. Now, in my case, my Republican, my state is blue, but my governor is Republican, but mm-hmm. you see my point. So, mm-hmm. So I think we actually do make a difference on a local level by communicating to our leaders that everybody in fact doesn't think alike. And I think that it also... It adds to the aggregate in the sense that I think one of the things that's been problematic as we've become so partisan and blue state, red state, we narrow, the, our, we allow our leaders to narrow their views when in reality, what I really wish a president was doing was saying, and, and a good president I think does, looks and says, hey, I actually only got 52% of the vote. So there are 48 percent of the people who are voting in this nation who didn't feel comfortable enough about me to vote for me. And a good ethical leader, in my mind, would try to figure out how to make those people, their experience in a democracy good. So I always think even if you lose, it's really good to stand up and say, I'm here and I want to be counted and I want to express my opinion.
1: I like it. Let's take another break. We'll come back in the third block of the cultural hall. (laughs) When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call
2: 801-699-3022 or visit Lennondesign.com. Here
1: in the third block of the cultural hall, remember there is that uh, Facebook group that's called the cultural hall back row, a place for online discussions about each of the episodes. Maybe we went tangentially uh, on an aside in an episode. It's like-minded people who just like to visit super nerdy about the cultural hall. You can find it on Facebook. It's the cultural hall back row. You don't have to pay any money to be a part of that. Just hang out with us on the back row. Now, Jen. Uh, Let me ask you this. Can you give me either an example of an ethical leader or of an ethical moment that a particular leader exhibited?
0: Boy, wow. So I think I'm just going to have to go the quick go to without having a lot of time to think. I really had a lot of respect for what Senator Romney did during the impeachment hearings. And it's not necessarily, um, I think there are people that wish he had gone further. There are people that thought he went too far. But one of the things that I appreciated most about what he did was that he took the time and exposed himself in a way to explain how his values were informing his decision. And it's one thing to just cast a vote and then run. It's another thing to take the time to explain why you did what you did. So to me, whether, again, you agree with it or not, that's the kind of ethical leadership we want. We want leaders who have very defined value systems that they themselves hold themselves accountable to. You know, we can hold our leaders accountable, but the the best ethical leaders have internal values to which they hold themselves accountable. Hmm. Right, that those are the best ones. Women or men, and so that to me was an example. He, you know, he obviously that was independent of pressure. There wasn't any group that he. There was no constituency of his that he was responding to. That was a purely individual act that responded to what he thought was right in the moment. So it, for me, that's a, a good example.
1: Do you think it just breaks down to then President Romney, or I'm sorry, President Romney? I wish uh, <laughs> uh, his own personal ethics. That, that's yeah. why he that, that, that's why he did it? Because they're, they're yeah. certainly here in the state of Utah, where he's a, a senator that represents. There were some people who were like, where was this guy when he was running yeah. to be president? And other yeah. people who were like, well, that sealed the deal and he's out.
0: Well, so I think we all have to be honest with ourselves. We are not nice to the people who we elect. We, we are really unkind to them. And so- Obviously, my guess is he's at a place in his life now where he kind of has nothing to lose, right? I mean, so he can sort of express himself, you know, sort of purely. But I I think that, that there is a real challenge that we certainly have to hold our leaders accountable to being honorable and to living up to their best values and ideals. But I think we also have to be honest about how we as citizens often don't really reward that. We, we come down really hard on people when their value system doesn't align with ours or when, when they actually grow. That's one of the things that I think I have found most distressing about recent politics is someone says, hey, well... Um, this person didn't think that 25 years ago, and they think that now, therefore, they must be wishy-washy. Or I'm like, oh, I don't know about you. Are you the same person you were 25 years ago? Like, I don't want anybody to vote the same way they would have when they were 22. I right. want their experience and their relationships and their pain and to inform their decisions, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes that takes us a little bit right. Sometimes that takes us a little bit left. I think for all of us, that happens, right? Mm-hmm. And if, if we aren't changing as individuals, then boy, we would make lousy leaders, we're inflexible. We can't move. And so, you know, that to me is important. It's not only important that the leaders have a sense of a core sense of values, but that we as um, citizens watch for those, respect them, respect when they're exercised and leave space for people to grow and change.
1: And you use the term wishy-washy. I like, uh, I like the term flip-flop. That's my favorite. Right? Well, yeah. one flips one flops how can we be uh how can we be sure or or really know that um said candidate or or individual because i think this applies to us as well is yeah. genuine in our change of heart and not just trying to appeal to what we feel like will be the the greater appeal
0: well i mean look you know that as well as i do that part of the christian tradition is is a deep profound belief that People's moral sense should be interior, but their actions, you know, are are sort of the best expression of their faith. Mm-hmm. And so I think that um, we have to leave room for our leaders to act if if they are saying one thing but acting in a way that is you know that those two things don't line up i think we're pretty smart we yeah. know that yeah right we can figure that out yeah. if there's you know it's the thoughts and prayers it's yeah. like you can say thoughts you can post thoughts and prayers after a tragedy but if you haven't been to church in two years then yeah you probably maybe aren't actually a super religious person and that's fine but don't use thoughts and prayers you yeah. know
1: so yeah. Interesting how that how that can kind of come across so very clearly to some and how other people can yeah. be like, no, 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 wait,
0: I, uh, no, yeah, no, no, no. I know I'm making it sound so easy. But but I, I think we also, again, need to the more rigid we are in our political ideologies and, and the way we identify, the harder it is for us to allow grace to people who express their ideology differently than we do. And so it's a bad, it's a a really non-whatever the opposite of a virtuous cycle is, Mm -hmm. where the more rigid we become, the more rigidly we judge other people, the less we allow them to change, the less room that gives us as political actors to change, and it just, uh, we get in cement.
1: So let me ask you this. I mean, this is something that you do sort of day in and day out. You mentioned that it's your day job, more than 40 hours a week. Uh, Do you still get in fights online? Please tell me yes.
0: I (laughs) I try really hard not to.
1: <laughs> but but it's hard, right? Like there's it's that one hard. inflammatory yes. inciting thing yes. and you're just like, "I am a keyboard warrior.
0: Here we go." Yes. Exactly. Or it's like the one little thing that I'm like, no, I actually know that's not true. I I don't know about all these things, but this I know. Stop it, stop it, stop it. You know, so it's hard for all of us, right? It requires a level of humility, which I don't know about you, but I have to work at.
1: Yeah, no. I I allow myself two people to just be brutally terrible to online and until they block me and then I allow myself another person to replace that person.
0: So. I actually, one thing that has been super helpful to me is I have some closed loop conversations ah. where like a tech stream or a group that I've curated as people who I know believe differently than I do. Hmm. And we have conversations and we know each other well, and we can have, sometimes it can get a little bit heated, but not mean. Then that's been really helpful. Hmm. So to have a place that I can have these conversations virtually, especially in a pandemic.
1: Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Cause we sit and stew. That's what I've noticed yeah. within the pandemic. Right. Oh, I, I'm so restless, and this is a way to get socially engaged. And <laughs> yeah, and I know everything. Uh, now, if people wanted to become a part of Mweg, is it yeah. like are we are we yearly dues? Or are we just click and join on the Facebook group? How does that work?
0: So the the it used to be you just clicked and joined on the Facebook group. Now we actually um, you you do need to go to our website and join there. Um, We love people who subscribe and who are, you know, dues paying members because that makes a huge difference in the quality and the amount of work that we're able to do. But, um, but it is not required. So we would encourage any woman of faith. We, we actually have a fair number of women in the organization who are not members of our faith, but who love the community, love the opportunity it gives them to get a diverse viewpoint, love our calls to action. And I would also say that our calls to action, those who are just interested in our work can follow us on our public Facebook page because we post those there. So you as the dude can't come to the party, but but often we will leave a little party favor for you out by the front door and you can just pick that up. So
1: (laughs) thank you. Thank you for being considerate of the dude.
0: You can complain to your senator on our behalf. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Please, please. And I will. And I will, as a matter of fact. Uh and so it's just
0: mweg.org. Mweg.org. Yep. Mormon Women for Ethical Government or Mweg.org.
1: And we'll leave a link to that in the show notes.
0: Well thank you. We yes, we want people to come. So I'm gonna start Mameg. So take that. I will say we do have a group of really supportive men who we have a group called Friends of EMWIG, okay. and men who are interested in kind of helping with the financial support of the organization and respect the work we're doing. And they've been a real gift. So
1: as much as I've been teasing you back and forth, I really think what you guys are doing is pretty amazing and and needed and necessary. And I love that it's inclusive to anyone who thinks any sort of way and just trying to increase a a better discussion and, and ultimately, you know, a, a better country for all of us to be able to yeah. live in. You know, Jen, what you don't know is that in uh, every episode of The Cultural Hall, I ask three questions. And so oh. now I will ask, us. As oh, don't worry, don't, no stress. They're easy. Quiz. No, it's not like a quiz. They're ones that only you can answer. So don't worry oh, about
0: okay. it. Okay. Uh,
1: the first question is, is under normal circumstances, if we were meeting as a church, do you have a calling? And if so, what is it?
0: Yes, I do have a calling. I am in the Young Women's Presidency in my ward.
1: Nice. And if you could pick a calling, either one
0: that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Oh, you know, boy, gosh, I wish I had time to think about this. I could have come up with something awesome. Yeah. But um, I think I'm entering the phase of my life when it would be really nice to go back to nursery and just oh, be yeah. with all the little people who just, journey though they may be, Approach life very simplistically. Lessons are God loves us. God loves you. Let's be nice. So that would be a really nice antithesis, I think, to the the climate in which we find ourselves.
1: (laughs) And then the final question, which you may interpret however you would like, that question remains, uh, what is your favorite part of your faith?
0: (sighs) That is actually super easy. I think my favorite part of my faith is um, the access that it gives me to redemptive grace. I think the older I have gotten, I think there are all sorts of things that if you'd asked me this 10 years ago or 15 years ago, there are really so many aspects of this church and this faith that resonate deeply with me and that I love. But um, I, I'm old, I've lived a long time and um, long enough to know that even other ways that I've tried, this is the best vehicle for me and for a lot of people that I have loved deeply to have kind of removed burdens from their life and accessed um, sort of a redemptive grace that has allowed them to grow and become better people and um, move ahead really affirmatively and positively becoming the people that I am pretty sure um, God wants them to be. So that for me is the, I am very, very appreciative of Christ and the redemption he offers us.
1: I love it. Jen Thomas, thank you so much. We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen to it this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen to it next week. And that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the cultural hall.
0: Save me a seat.
2: It's sure to be neat on the back
0: row. We really gotta go on the cultural hall show.